0: This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series, our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on entrepreneurship in the publishing world with New York Times bestselling writer Stephanie Gunning. To reach Stephanie, her website, StephanieGunning.com. Enjoy. She's the founder of Creative Flash Press and an author, editor, a publishing consultant specializing in books on health, wellness, spirituality, and new thought. Her A list clientele include best selling authors such as Greg Braden, Hill Duoskin, Ernest Chu, Sandy Grayson and Ruby Payne, and major publishing firms such as Hay House, McGraw Hill, Crown, Health Communications, and is it Josie Bass? Yeah, Josie Bass. Okay, um, along with an anthology, um, she's co authored and ghost written 18 books, including With, Real, with Willpower, Easy Homeopathy passion principal exploring feng shui and creating your birth plan and she has two in the pipeline right now i'd like you to welcome you stephanie it's <laughs> nice to have you on the line oh it is nice to be here i've been looking forward to this all day <laughs> oh really well you see now you're in the hot seat we want to find out and pick your brain about what makes stephanie gunning tick <laughs> oh. i thought well wow let's turn the tables and find out about Abundant Success, and what made you go down the path in what you're doing as a writer today? Wow, okay.
1: Well, where do I begin? Wow. <laughs> I was, I was born in family. a log cabin. <laughs> 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 we want to know everything. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, which is when I was a little kid, I knew I wanted to be a writer. That was actually something I always knew. I always kept a journal from the time I was about eight and could really write sentences. I would write little stories and record thoughts and you know so I've always had this very rich inner life and imaginative life. And um, it's you know, half the time it gets me in trouble, mm-hmm. and half the time it's a really great blessing. <laughs>
0: Well, that's a good thing, though, because um, I found that uh, normally journaling helps yeah. in many ways other than, you know, just, well, I need a hand in a report. So. Yeah. It's wonderful to keep. And, how you said as early as you can remember, grade school earlier? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I only learned how
1: to read and write when I was about five or six in first grade, so I don't think... I was journaling then I mean I still had to have I'd had to have an adult that I would say here's my story the little girl went to the moon you know <laughs> boom and <laughs> that was it and then I'd draw a picture but my father recently at the age of 76 found in one of his drawers this tiny little book that I had made for him and it said Kids Rules for Dads <laughs> And I guess I had a little bone to pick with him when I was about nine because I, I wanted to give him some, you know, ways to treat me that I would appreciate. <laughs> you know, you could help most kids in America with that little journal now. <laughs> it's very sweet and I'm actually quite touched that he kept it all this time. But it just shows you I really loved books, you know. And and so there was there's always been an incredible rightness about me being involved with publishing, um, and actually we're in, in the current climate that we're in where everything is going on over to digital um, modes of transmission, you know, I'm, I'm very much involved in the forefront of um, Internet marketing, and um, I help people use all kinds of different platforms for publishing, and I've used them myself um where it print on demand and then there are these sort of hybridized services that get you into bookstores as well as selling your books online but you know i'm going to if if the book dies as a paper and ink object i'm going to mourn and grieve for a long time you know when i when i worked in um, uh, my i the first 10 years of my career i worked for Harper Collins and I the very first time every book would come in a box to the editor, I would rip it open, open a book and stick my nose in the middle and inhale deeply because the smell of fresh printer ink is unlike any other smell, you know and and so I really love books. I love them as objects, they're my companions. Um, there's no There's no better way, I think. For one human being to communicate ideas into the head of another human being, um, you know, until we're fully telepathic, (laughs) you know, this is this is what we have to do. We have to um, we have to try to formulate thoughts. And um, even though our inner life is so flowing and dynamic, when when you write a book, you really take all of that. And you do something artistic with it um, on the page that encapsulates a kind of an, a, an energy and an expression of an idea or an experience. It's an approximation. It's a metaphor. It's not real life, but it's,
0: it's pretty darn close
1: if you do it right.
0: If we were to go back to some of those teachers, professors, etc in your journalism, 101, (laughs) early English, would they actually be surprised at what you're doing now with the teachers and professors? You
1: know, um, I was a pretty shy kid. I've gotten over it. Um, Not not as a young child. I, I got shy in my adolescence and my early 20s, and then... It was sort of a a phase that I went through because I I felt very uncertain about how I was going to enter adult life. You know, I didn't, that was my awkward phase, (laughs) but as a kid I was, I, I think I was pretty Bold. I don't. I mean, that's what I tell myself now. I don't know if it's true or not. You
0: didn't write I, for like the newspaper or the. You
1: what? know, I wrote for my in high school. I wrote for um, the literary magazine. I, I wrote. Um, actually, the, the the earliest thing that I wrote. This is funny to think of when I was when I was in grade school. I um, we used to have uh, my mother was a working mother and there was a woman who used to watch me and my younger sister and my older brother in the afternoons and she liked to watch soap operas mm-hmm. and so I kind of got addicted to this one soap and um, so it, when I was like in 6th grade I, wr- I started writing reams and reams of soap opera and then I had all my classmates perform it with me <laughs> Oh, re- <laughs> it was really fun and I, I had and I wrote commercials, <laughs> and I wrote, you know, it was the whole thing. It was the That's whole experience. Great. Great. It was really fun, yeah. But um, so, so then um, in college. Uh, I went for. I, I grew up and I went to a very small school. So for 12 years, I was in a pretty insular little container um, where I had a lot of personal attention, and I really flourished and grew. And I went to a small college. I went to Amherst College in Massachusetts, which is a great school, wonderful institution. But you know, you're pretty. You, you know, you're you're on you're on your own. I mean, I had a faculty advisor, but. Um, the guy who was my advisor, wonderful man, William Pritchard, he's a frost expert, you know, beautiful poetry, wonderful teacher, took a sabbatical my second year. So the, any bond that I began forming with him disappeared. And then my junior year, I went, I studied in Greece, I studied archaeology. When I came back, I then had to form a new relationship with a third faculty advisor. The second one was useless to me and um, <laughs> you know, so I did not have a bond with professors, but in high school, I remember a teacher and actually she she um she runs she's the um, founder and the principal of a, a school in California somewhere now. Her name was Stevie Chinitz. And I remember I wrote a r- very real, and I, I still, I take it out from time to time and I read it. It was a very real short story, and it was actually pretty darn good. And I got something out in it, and she read it and she took it so seriously that on her own time she sat down with me for a couple of hours and we went by it line by line and she really had me work it and flesh it there wasn't a lot that I ended up changing but she really went through it with me in a very what I now understand is an editorial process. Um and I, it didn't. It wasn't like my usual experience of being graded. You know, bad grammar, good grammar, whatever. It was more about is this thoughtfully developed, um, and the fact that she took me that seriously made a lasting impression on me. You know, uh,
0: that's how you you were just describing how uh, the, the editorial process is. When uh, you flesh the story out, uh, you get another perspective and what that other individual is seeing in your writing. You have something in your mind, but they're seeing. Yeah,
1: that I mean, that's what really I'm very interested in that space Mm -hmm. that occurs between the writer and the reader, Mm -hmm. Um, and because usually there, you know, when a writer begins writing, it's they have an impulse to share or or to express it's you know for a lot of us it's from a very feeling place or it's it's from an experience that has that needs to be resolved and commented upon or some learning that has occurred it's very exciting or something a problem that's being set out to be solved on the page you know um but that's Half at best of the experience of what a book does. The other half, or even the majority of what happens, happens inside of the mind of the reader. You know. um, That's right. I don't know if you did. Did you read the essay that I wrote in Audacious Creativity? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called "Surprise Me," and I was writing about um, this Van Gogh painting that I saw. Uh, there was an exhibit in, in um, the Museum of Modern Art here in New York right around the time I was finishing that book. And I, needed, I knew that I wanted to write about curiosity and surprise and all of that. And then, and then I, you know, that was in the back of my mind. And I, I saw this painting, and it's, it's an earlier version of A Starry Night he wanted to, to paint the night sky, and he, the, the way it was described by the curators of the museum was that because they didn't have light electric lights like we have, mm-hmm. um, lighting was always an issue to paint anything at night you know and he came up with this thing with the lights of the harbor on the ships and then these swirling blobs of color white you know white color and yellow color in the sky you know just kind of beaming out and i was standing in front of that painting and i started having sequences of memories of all of the nighttime harbors i had ever been in and i was like holy Moly
0: <laughs>
1: like this man has been gone for hundreds of years millions of people have seen this painting and here I stand and it's vivid to me because of my 40 odd years of life on this planet and so if everybody who stands in front of this painting has their own life experience they're all going to remember different memories and yet we're all looking at the same thing and remembering it and so then if i turn around and i go into those memories and write them in this essay and then other people read it and then they have a memory of an experience where maybe a different piece of art touches them or a different book or this interview or whatever it's like this we're we're passing on these little explosions of thought to one another <laughs> that's mm-hmm. kind of how i see it it's like a little Bomb goes off in your brain, not in a destructive way, but you know, in a, more like a fireworks. You know, <laughs> boom, boom. You know, and it's
0: the power. It shows how the power of writing, how writing that has stood and or like you're saying, paintings have, that have stood the test of time, moves uh, the soul of an individual. So many years later, uh, Van Gogh has been gone well over 100 and some years. We're talking about it now, right? In writing, in literary um, compositions, the same thing. We're talking about, you know, think and grow rich, and, you know, we've got The Secret and all these other things that are based off uh, on really ancient principles just brought into a new, uh, you know, a new sphere uh, and, and and processed
1: through the writer, mm-hmm. through your nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, with, without that piece it doesn't express itself authentically. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like I I do not want to diminish the role of the writer in really holding and creating the space for that thought. Mm -hmm. This is is an, an essential part of the process, and at the same time, you really have to respect the reader because they're an essential part of the process as well. That book that I wrote for my dad, mm-hmm. that's actually a perfect marketing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kids rules for dads. I knew who my audience was. I knew what I wanted the book to accomplish. I wanted to alter his behavior. It was actually a self-help book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the profession I'm in, so it becomes more, um, I write spiritual books. I write books about self-care of your body um, of your home the human being is very much a part of the work that I do how do we grow how do we evolve how do we have what we want how do we feel so it makes sense that I perceive writing as an experience that's filtered through me in academia um there is a there are uh, rigorous rules for the intellect i actually i spent the better part of the day reading a a thirty five page um, article that was written in two thousand and three um, studying the qualities of mindfulness, um, which was published by um, a psychological journal i forget I forget which one i don't have it in front of me but it was all written in statistician language and Percentages, and I was I was reading and enjoying it, and bogging down on the formulas um, because I don't care. <laughs> but um, but I was also understanding the validity um, of the conclusions that they draw, and I thought it was so they were speaking to their peers and colleagues mm-hmm. about. Valid, statistical, reliable research. You know, and it makes sense to me that they would communicate in that language because they know their who their reader is. Right. Right. You know, and uh, you know, I'm I am not their intended reader, although I am going to take great benefit from that article. Um. So. You know, I'm not sure if the people on, who are listening to this are writers, but if if they are, um, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is to really study the category that they're in, and 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 look at some of the conventions. I'm I'm absolutely not opposed to breaking convention. Mm-hmm. I think it can be very interesting, um, and at the same time. That you, it, you need first to understand why things are already being done the way they're being done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what yeah. what is easy about it. You know.
0: Um, I wanted to know when you graduated from college, uh, you know Amherst, and you launched your career, and you were at Harper Collins, and then moved to Bantam, Doubleday, Dell. How did that come about? Was that something that you know? You was it happenstance, or did you? Was that a career you purposely wanted? You just you know you saw that and you just went for it.
1: Oh, this is interesting. I I as I said, I was a little bit shy at that period in my life, and um, I actually was quite terrified upon graduation. I did not know what to do with myself. I had a summer job, which was working with autistic kids at a camp, and um, I had some very um, put together roommates um, and one of them, you know, put on her suit and marched off campus to go to the Office of Career Counseling and she had an interview with some bank, you know, and I knew I didn't want to be a banker, but I, I kind of let her drag me along and there were these clipboards in there for a job fair in New York City, which is where I'm from, and um, I was going to go home on spring break and visit my mother anyway, so... You know, I signed up, and I actually got two interviews. And one was with Scholastic, which is based in Connecticut, and they did the Summer Weekly Reader. Um, and the other was with Harper and Row, which now is HarperCollins since it since Rupert Murdoch bought it years ago. But um, uh, the one at Scholastic didn't go well. It wasn't a good fit. I really didn't want to be in children's books and or magazines and um, The woman from Harper and Row, uh, I remember her name very well, Joan Maniscalco, she was like, I really want you to call me when you're ready, and she handed me her card, and so I got back from my summer job. I moved into my dad's house in Teaneck, New Jersey, which is about four miles from midtown Manhattan, and... I had this woman who had a computer, I didn't even have a computer, Um, help me prepare a resume. I had 150 of them printed up. I mailed one to Joan Maniscalco, and I was about to launch this major career attack and she called me and she hired me. <laughs> so I ended up um, just really lucking into uh, it was a very basic entry level position. I, I worked um, a couple of hours in the afternoon on the switchboard for the trade department answering phones for all the editors uh, doing a few administrative things. We did not work with computers so there was like card filing and you know weird paperwork that doesn't exist anymore and then the hard stuff (laughs) yeah exactly and then um well we would log in every submission that came in and then we would log in the answer to it and then we would send it back you know to where or whatever so it was actually kind of interesting because i got to see the flow of material in and out and you know who does what and um, and then most of the day I worked with the managing editor, and the managing editor is um, an interface between editing, business, and um, production. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, that actually was probably a seminal job for me, even though I was only in that job for 10 months, mm-hmm. because um, a lot of editorial assistants, and actually I would even go so far as to say editors, know squat about, um, production and they know, you know, not too much about business and finance. So it was a, it was a good place for me to, you know, be as a silent observer. (laughs) (laughs) Then I went into editing pretty quickly after that and, um, rose fairly rapidly. Um, and that's great.